Man, appreciate that. Playing there. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight, and uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 30 as we continue our Bible study, uh, looking at the uh, the tabernacle uh, there in the Old Testament. Of course, uh, just a reminder, a quick review. Uh, we're, we're looking at, uh, in some of our Bible studies this year, different building projects going on through the Scripture. And we're doing that because, uh, Lord willing, next year we're getting ready to go through a building project. Uh, last Saturday we started uh, uh, doing a little bit of work out the property. Uh, we got the uh, culprit put in. We still got to do a little work on the rock out there. It's a little smooshy uh, because of putting in brand, a brand new driveway area. Uh, but uh, by the time we're ready to come out there uh, next month, uh, for our prayer on the property. We'll have that thing solidified up a little bit. Uh, but anyway, all that to say, Lord willing, we're going to be going through a building project. And so uh, the, the Scripture, there's a lot of things in the Scripture about uh, building and those things uh, along those lines. So we're just uh, starting kind of at the beginning. The first building project we come to is that of the tabernacle. And so we've been talking about it and uh, looking at different aspects of it. Let me just remind you, uh, everything about the tabernacle was for a reason. It was for a purpose. Listen, it means something. Amen? And of course, I've taught you this, but everything about that tabernacle pointed to one thing and one thing only, and that was our Lord and Savior, yes, Jesus sir. Christ. Amen. By the way, this whole book is a representation of Him. And uh, I've always said this, uh, in John chapter 1, the Bible calls Him the Word. Amen? Jesus Christ is the living Word. Amen. That's one of His titles. Yep. If you would take a person and turn it to a, uh, uh, a, a Bible, you'd have Jesus Christ. If you take uh, uh, Jesus Christ, and, and I'm sorry, if you take Jesus and turn Him into a, a book, you'd have the King James Bible. If you did the King James Bible and turn it to a person, you'd have Jesus Christ. Right. Because He is the Word. Amen? Yep. And, just, and, and we may not have got our our English Bible uh, until uh, when it was translated uh, there in the 1600s. But let me say this, folks. The Word of God has always been and always will be. The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Amen? And so that's how important it is. But all that to say, the, the, the all, everything about this tabernacle points to the Lord. So uh, if you find your place, Exodus chapter 30, stand with me as we read our scripture for tonight. And then I'll pray and have you be seated. Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four squares shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, the sides thereof round about, the horns thereof. And thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And two golden rings shalt thou make uh, to under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it. And they shall be for places for the stage to bear it withal. And thou shalt make the stays of shit of wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. He shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for all you do for us, God. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here. And Lord, I ask that you meet with us tonight. Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you be active in our midst. 
And Lord, as I pray every single time I stand behind this pulpit, if someone does not know you as their personal Savior, I ask, Lord, that you would convict our heart, you would draw them to you, and Lord, may a precious soul be saved. I pray that you would allow us as Christians to uh, take the Word of God as it's taught and preached tonight, and allow it to get down inside of us, Lord, and help us to be better for you. We love you, and we thank you. We give you the praise, glory, and honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The altar of incense. Now, uh, again, I, I'm not going to uh, spend a ton of time with you, but let me just uh, quickly uh, kind of catch up on what we've covered so far. We've actually talked about the structure itself of the tabernacle and uh, what it looks like and how it was that tent-like structure that was surrounded by these tent-like walls, these canvas walls made out of different animal skins. By the way, church, answer me this, and I like reminding you of it. I like hearing you, hearing you tell me this. How many entrances was there to the tabernacle? One. One. Amen. That's right. And uh, you know why there's only one? Because it represents the fact that there's only one door into heaven, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He's the only way. If you don't go through Him, you ain't going at all. Amen? Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so as you enter into that, that outer court, or the part that was outside of the tent-like structure within those walls, the first thing you came to was the altar. And by the way, that altar was a picture of the cross. Amen? And remember, if you're going to go any further in your relationship with God, it must begin with the cross of Jesus Christ. It must uh, uh, begin with His shed blood. It must uh, begin with what we call being saved. Amen? Salvation. And that altar is a picture of the cross. The next thing you'd come to there in that outer court was the brazen laver. And remember, as we talked about, it was made out of brass as of the looking glasses. Uh, and it was, it was, a, it was a, uh, where you could see your reflection in it. And it had water in it. And it was a picture of cleansing. It was a picture of the fact that, yes, even though we're saved, we still every day must be clean before God. Amen? Right. Keeping short accounts between God. Keeping your sin confessed to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, you don't need to go through a preacher to get to God. Every single Christian has direct access to the very God I have direct access to. Amen? Amen. Listen, you don't have to come confess your sin to me. You go directly to the one who has the power to forgive. And that's your Savior who shed His blood for you on the cross. Amen? And that labor of being clean before God. Well, then as you would enter into the actual tent-like structure, you would come to, the first thing you'd come to was the table of showbread. And that table of showbread was the bread that the priest ate, and it spoke of fellowship, and it spoke of substance, and, and, and it was only for the priest, and they would eat that, and it spoke, uh, spake of the fellowship that they would have with God. And by the way, every single Christian ought to have a fellowship, ought to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> that goes beyond just being saved, amen? Yeah. Remember, salvation is just the beginning. But salvation is not just about the destination. It's about the journey God wants us to walk on in this thing called life. And so that table of showbread is representation of the fellowship. And then last week we talked about that great uh, uh, seven um, uh, structured uh, candlestick there that had was burning with seven lamps. And by the way, remember, that wasn't a, 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 a candle of wax. That thing was filled with oil. And by the way, I realized after I got done teaching last week, I forgot one of the important, uh, important parts of that, uh, of that candlestick. We talked a lot about the light and what it was to do and the purpose of the light. But you know what I forgot to talk about was the fuel source of the lamp. Amen? The fuel source of the light. That was that precious oil, that olive oil. By the way, in the Scripture, oil is always a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And man, that light was fueled by the oil. 
By the way, come on now, Christian. Listen to me. When you got saved, you got the Spirit of God to dwell in it. Amen? By the way, we have the advantage the sons of Aaron and the children of Israel and all the people in the Old Testament didn't have. They didn't have the Spirit of God living in them. Hey, praise God, because of the cross, we're living on this side of the cross. When you get saved, the Spirit of God dwells in us. Amen? Now listen to me. Well, what an advantage that is. You think about that for a minute. That, that light we're supposed to be that we talked about last week, you know, if you're going to shine bright, you're not going to do that in and of yourself. You've got to have a fuel source. Yep, that's right. And by the way, we do have a fuel source. It's a Spirit of God that lives in every single one of us. And by the way, when you get around other Christians, you can sense it. Amen? Yeah. You can feel it. And uh, I'm telling you, I get around Christians, we start talking about the Lord. Man, something starts burning inside of me. Amen? You know what that is? It's a fuel source. And I'm not going to go back and reteach what I did last week. But uh, let's move on tonight. And uh, let's look at that next piece, that last piece that's in that outer tabernacle, that, that outer place. By the way, think about this. When you walk in, you got one over here on the, on the uh, uh, let's see here, make sure I get my directions right. Uh, you got one here on the south side, you got one on the west side, and then you know what you have there? Right before you enter the Holy of Holies, you got the altar of incense. By the way, think about what shape that forms, amen? It forms a cross. And that, and that furniture was arranged in a way to where all of it represented. It was a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this altar of incense. By the way, I got my directions wrong. The altar set in the center of the west end of the holy place. And it was right before you go into uh, the Holy of Holies. And we'll get to that later on. Let's talk about this altar of incense. Very interesting. It was, uh, uh, it was there so that uh, incense could be put upon that. And it was made of various sweet-smelling and precious spices. By the way, God was very, very specific on all this stuff, but particularly when it came to what could be mixed and burnt on the altar of incense. Let me show you here. This is super interesting. Uh, flip over, if you will, uh, or look further on down. I'm sorry, you should already be in Exodus chapter 30. Uh, let's flip on down. Let's look on down to verse 34. Because this whole chapter, for the most part, talks about that altar of incense. And it was an altar that, yes, once a year blood was, was put on the horns of that altar, but it was every day incense was offered upon that altar. And I'm going to show you just a minute that parallel. It's a powerful parallel. But notice here, Exodus chapter 30, verse 34, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, all right, uh, uh, Stacy and uh, Ansha and Galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection, after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. Now, y'all, you ladies that have your favorite scents, okay, uh, you think they smell good. I guarantee you this smells good. Amen? This is perfume coming from the very mind of God. In fact, it was so holy, let's keep reading, and thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put it on before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, listen to this, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make it like unto that, to smell thereunto, shall even be cut off from his people. Isn't that interesting? God said, listen, you're not to make this a particular compound of incense that's to be on, to be burnt on this altar, you're not to make it for any other purpose except to be burnt on the altar of incense. Because it represents something. It's holy. 
it has a specific meaning. Hey, hey, it's set apart for my use. Amen? And by the way, let me say this. All throughout the Scripture, you know what you find? God's setting things apart for His use. Amen? And by the way, these were important things. These were precious things. Uh, man, we can draw a parallel there, can we not? Are we not as Christians to be set apart for God's use? And by the way, if God sets us apart, listen, you are special in the eyes of God. By the way, listen, you are valuable to God. Amen? Just as these precious ointments were valuable to God, mixed together, man, they, they, they produced a, this beautiful smell that when put on the altar would ascend up before God. Literally, they, it was so that God uh, could smell that altar, uh, coming off that altar, a sweet-smelling odor, other places in the Scripture tell us, before God. Let me tell you, when our lives live the right way, by the way, put together with the right types of things, Amen? When our life put together that way, our life as well can be a sweet-smelling odor before God. Amen. Amen. Or, or we can live in such a way to where our life stinks before God. Because, you know what? Instead of being set apart holy, we want to go waller with the world. We want to start getting involved in the mixed multitude, as we'll read about some, some other time later on. And we want to start what God has set apart for holy things. We want to start and start mixing around with the things of the world. By the way, you start doing that, you start losing that sweet smell that God wants you to be toward Him. Amen? Listen, living the right kind of life is a big deal as a Christian. It matters to God. And by the way, not just to God, it matters to those around us as well. But the main parallel here of this altar, this type of incense here, is a picture of prayer. That's what the altar of incense is a picture of. And uh, we see that throughout the Scripture. Let's look at a couple places here. Uh, go to uh, Psalms chapter 141. Psalms 141. And by the way, I, I love seeing those Scripture songs. And I'm so thankful that uh, on our midweek service we do that. I've never uh, been to a church before uh, where they take part of their song service. And I'm sure there are other churches that do it. But I've never been to one that take part of their, their song service and sing Scripture songs like that. And I like it, by the way. Amen? By the way, you know what the book of Psalms is? The book of Psalms was the songbook for the nation of Israel. And almost all of these songs were set to some kind of music. And uh, we obviously don't know what the tunes were, because uh, I don't think that was uh, uh, translated there uh, when we got the Scripture. But uh, all of it, though, uh, was songs before the Lord. And so I love the fact that we get to sing those before the Lord. But let's look here. Psalms 141, look at verse 2. Uh, again, we're talking about, let's pick it up in verse 1. Here's what it says, I, David here, and by the way, this was set up when David was hiding out from Saul in the cave. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him, I showed before him my trouble when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, uh, when thou knewest my path and the way wherein I have walked. They have privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion and the land of the living. And what you see here in this psalm is where uh, David is pouring himself out before the Lord. And what I meant to read was Psalm 141, but 142 goes along with it too. Amen? Uh, go back, uh, uh, because it's still talking about prayer. That's where we're going at. Uh, back to 141. Lord, cry unto me, make haste unto me, 
Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Here it is. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You see, folks, all this was a representation of something. And in the Scripture, prayer is a representation. That incense is a representation of prayers going up before the Lord. We also see in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, I won't have you turn over there, but when John was in heaven, he got his first glimpse of the throne of God. It talks about how that he saw golden vials full of odors and said that they were the prayers of saints. So literally, let me tell you what that means, folks. Based upon what the Scripture teaches, amen? And I don't claim to understand what all this means, but the Bible teaches this, is that when we pray, God takes those prayers somehow, and He takes them, and He puts them in golden vials. And those prayers, that He uses those for some purpose in heaven. And John, when he was in heaven, by the way, John was there in what, what we're going to experience in the future, even though he experienced it in the present. That shows you right there, God is not limited by time. Amen? We live within the confines of time. God lives without the confines of time. Amen? He inhabits eternity. He's past, present, and future all at the same time because he's God. Amen? So John was there, present. One of these days in heaven, those golden odors... God will use those and release those. And he says, he says that they are the prayers of saints. Now listen, folks, prayer is so, so important. That's why we have to work so hard to do it. That's why God commands us uh, uh, to do it. And that's why Satan fights us about doing it. Amen? It's one of the hardest things in the Christian life to be consistent at, to be steady at. But listen, God commands for us to do it because it's important. It matters. Amen? It matters. It matters more than you can even imagine. It matters more than you can even imagine. And because, as human beings, okay, we're the microwave generation. We want it when we want it. I mean, you know, we get impatient waiting two minutes for our popcorn to pop. Okay? I mean, we get impatient when, you know, oh, come on, come on. I mean, you're sitting there watching the numbers. Oh, I can't believe i got to wait a whole minute before I can eat my Hot Pocket. I mean, what in the world's wrong with us? We're the microwave generation. By the way, I do not eat Hot Pockets. I hate Hot Pockets, man. <laughs> I can't even stand the smell of those things, but uh, my kids like it. Uh, but um, uh, no, we're the microwave generation. We want it when we want it. But let me tell you, that's the way God works. Let me tell you something, folks. Sometimes prayer is one of those things you may never see the tangible results from on this earth, but it still doesn't mean it doesn't make an impact in eternity. By the way, a lot of the things that we're doing for God, you don't see instantaneous tangible results from. Now, sometimes you do. But most of the time, it's things that you see later on. Or maybe it's things you'll never see until eternity. But if God commands to do it, we need to do it. Amen? Because it means something. If there's there's, there's uh, a lot of spiritual significance to it. So that altar of incense, as that incense would be burned, and it would go up, it would fill that tabernacle, and no doubt the odors would waft up, up uh, in around the tabernacle, and it would waft even up into heaven where God Himself could smell. You say, well, there's no way that all that would get up to God. Well, uh, there's a reason God said to do it. Amen? And then many a times He talks about that odor, the sweet smell of a sacrifice. So yes, God can smell that. Amen? But it's a lot of it is more about what it represents. Now let me show you a couple verses here, and uh, we will um, we'll, we'll tie this all together with some very practical application. I'm going to take you back to the New Testament. Let's look at a couple places here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. By the way, every day, every day that priest was commanded to burn incense upon that altar. Every day. And again, if we're drawing the parallel there, 
I thank God we want for us as Christians to be involved in prayer every single day of our lives. By the way, when I say prayer, I'm just mean one of these, you know, uh, now, Lord, I lay me down to sleep. I, uh, I pray the Lord my soul to keep things. I'm talking about real, meaningful communion with God Almighty. A relationship with God. The old timers used to say, being on praying ground, knowing how to get a hold of the throne of God. Notice here, Ephesians chapter 6, we've talked through these verses within the last couple of years. We've talked the armor of God. But again, notice what we see. And notice the word there. And this is what I'm trying to get get you to uh, to to look at and to see, not just praying, but look at the word. What it says, praying. What's the next word? Always praying, always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always is what he's saying. Amen. That means this: it ought to be a constant thing. It ought to be something that you're always involved in. By the way, you're going to see that word a lot. Amen? Uh, flip, uh, if you will, to Philippians. Philippians, the next book over. Philippians chapter 4. And uh, uh, again, uh, so many scriptures, so many places we could go. Let's look what he says here. Uh, verse 6, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Look at this first phrase. Be careful for nothing. Alright, I've taught you this before. Let's see if you remember. Alright, you know what that means? It means this. Quit worrying. That's what it means. Be careful for nothing means do not worry. By the way, when we worry, let me tell you what that's doing. By worrying, that's letting God know we're not trusting Him. Oh God, I got to get this. I got to. I got to get myself up in turmoil because I don't think You're big enough to handle the thing that I'm concerned about. That's what really. Is. And I know it's one of those things that we say, uh, you know, well, you know, it's just something we do as human beings. Well, uh, as a spirit-filled Christian, it should be something you do. Because the Bible says not to do it. Be careful for nothing. But here's the thing. If you're not going to worry, you've got to replace it with something. Because I'm going to tell you, it is easy to worry. Because of just being a human being, right? It's the flesh, being sinful. It's easy to worry. But if you're not going to worry, you've got to replace it with something else. And here's what he said to replace it with. Be careful for nothing, but... There's that conjunction, amen? That's that, hey, change in direction. But in everything... In, uh, uh, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So you know how not to worry? Pray. That's what he says to do. Give it to God. In everything by prayer and supplication. You, you, you mean, preacher, I should pray about everything? Yes. Absolutely, you got to pray about everything. Anything and everything you got to pray about. By the way, in our minds, we think, oh, yeah, I need to, if someone's going through a hard time, I need to pray. Uh, if, uh, uh, you know, if I'm facing a difficulty, I need to pray. No, you need to pray literally about everything you do. Amen. I know. We don't live there, do we? Because we think we got this thing figured out. We think we can do it on our own. That's why we're not dependent upon God, and that's why we spend too much time worrying about stupid stuff instead of, instead of uh, praying and trusting in the Lord. All right, by the way, look at the next verse. When you don't worry, okay? And you pray about everything. And you give it to God. Look what is the result of that. Verse 7. And you only can have that if you do what's in the previous verse. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the opposite of worry right there. Peace. And by the way, not just any peace. The peace of God. And that peace of God, listen to what that word keep means. It means to protect. That peace of God will protect your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And that right there is a message right there. Amen. I could spend the rest of the night and all day Sunday preaching on that verse right there. 
Okay? Listen to me, folks. Hey, if you will just learn to pray, learn to give it to God, and learn to allow God to entrust in the Lord, amen? By, by the way, why can you trust in God? Because He's already been where you're going to be at. He's already there. Because He, remember I told you, He lives outside of time. And by the way, think about this for a minute. It's a powerful truth right here. And this can be applied in a lot of many different ways. Do you realize why Jesus Christ suffered the way He did? I'm talking about in the garden when He sweat those great drops of blood. You know what he was doing there? He was suffering mentally and emotionally and spiritually. He, he, he suffered. By the way, they tell us that when a person is under so much stress, it is your body, the, the way it relieves that is your, is your blood capillaries burst and you literally sweat drops of blood. That's a physically possible thing to do when you're under such ex extreme stress. So when we say we're stressed, We've never been as stressed as much as Jesus has. I don't know anybody that's ever sweat drops of blood. I'm sure there probably have been some people. I've never heard of them. I've never seen it, but Jesus did. So he suffered mentally. He suffered emotionally. By the way, he suffered physically. All the horrible things he put his body through. Amen. You read about that. Man, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost too hard to even comprehend that the, the things that his body went through. And then he suffered spiritually when the Father turned the lights out and for three hours poured out the wrath of your sin and my sin upon Christ on that cross. Now you know why Jesus suffered all that? So he knows how to help us and so that we don't have to worry because he took already taken all the pain for us. Amen? So when you face pain, you're not facing anything he's never been through. And by the way, the best person that can help somebody is someone that's already been through the same thing they're facing. That's the best person that can help them. By the way, you got somebody, amen? So no wonder the Bible says to, uh, to pray to Him and to uh, let your, your, your prayers and your supplications be known unto Him. And let me tell you, when you do that, it's a, it's, it's a declaration of faith. Lord Jesus, I trust You. I may not understand it, but my faith and my trust is in You, Lord. And I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to put it in Your hands and let You deal with it. By the way, he's big enough to deal with anything you've got to care. He's big enough. By the way, he's already been through it all, too. Man, no wonder uh, the Bible says that uh, uh, he, he's our high priest and, and that he can relate to us and we can relate to him. Amen? And so listen, yeah, it's worth praying about for the person you're praying for, but also for your own peace of mind, literally. Amen? All right, let's look at another passage here. Let's go over to um, 1 Thessalonians. A couple more books over. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And um, uh, we, uh, uh, we've, I think I preached this not that long ago, too, as far, or maybe I think I was preaching at another church when I preached it, I don't remember. Uh, but regardless, I'm going to look at that again, verse 17. Notice what he says, uh, one of what I call the Ten Commandments for every church member. Verse 17, three simple phrase verse right here. But man, it's so important, it's so powerful. Pray without ceasing. That literally means to always be praying, amen? Or to pray about everything, literally is what that's talking about. Pray without ceasing. There's nothing that you should not be praying about, amen? That you shouldn't be talking to the Lord about, that you shouldn't always be bringing before Him. By the way, remember something. Remember what we read about that? Praying always, pray without ceasing. It's a constant thing that's always going on, that's always happening. Just like that incense that's always going up before the Lord, amen? Now think about this for a minute, and we're going to close out here, all right? But that priest, remember something, this was back before Jesus died on the cross. 
So the, not all the people had direct access to God. They had to go through the priest to get to God because the blood hadn't been shed put on the mercy seat in heaven yet. Amen? And so those priests, think about this now, they literally were the people's intercessors with God. So think about it. As they were going there and burning that incense, and as they were going and going to put that blood uh, on the mercy seat, on the horns of that altar of incense, was it for themselves? Yes, because they had sin too. But it wasn't just for their sin. It was also to atone for the sins of the people. And listen to me, folks. You know part of the reason of prayer is on behalf of others? The fact, here, here it is, so that we can be uh, intercessors for other people. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Again, these are some uh, powerful verses here uh, on prayer. That's why it's important, folks, that you have a prayer life. Uh, it's important for you, but you know what? It's also important for other people, amen? Because God wants to use you to inter uh, intercede for somebody else. And there's a lot of biblical illustrations of that. You could go back to uh, Genesis chapter 19 and see where Abraham stood before the Lord and interceded for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and for his family, Lot and all them. Abraham interceded. He literally went to God on behalf of somebody else. And listen, in the case of his family, there in the cases of Sodom and Gomorrah, God, God moved on behalf of somebody praying for somebody. Now look here, James chapter 5. And again, these are some pretty famous passages of Scripture. Well, let's look at it. Amen? Look what he says in verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Amen? Talking about physical or, 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 or afflictions of this life. Anything you're afflicted with in this life. Amen? You know what, truth be told, I think probably to some extent, every single one of us had to probably answer that, yes. Okay? Because you know what? Let's just be honest here, okay? Life on earth a lot of times just flat out stinks. It does. I mean, it's, 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 it can be difficult because of the stinking sin curse we're living underneath. You know, I mean, you know, a, a lot of good things or bad things happen to good people. And you look at these things, you're like, what's going on? And, and there, there's internal turmoil. Maybe it's something you're facing. Listen, I don't think there's any, any one of us that's never not been afflicted, or I'll tell you this, or ever won't be afflicted. So what do you do? Okay? All right? Bible says, let him pray. There you go. Now, it's not necessarily saying that that's going to just immediately take the affliction away. But listen, folks, prayer ought to be the first resort. Not the last resort. Not the resort of desperation. Listen, God's not your stinking spare tire. Go to Him at the very first, at the very beginning. Prayer is the first thing you ought to be doing. Amen? Let Him pray. I like the next part. Is any married? What do you do when you're happy? Let Him sing psalms. Amen? What we did tonight, that was biblical. Is any sick among you? I'm going to tell you right now, we have them around here at our church, and and uh, and uh, there's folks that are dealing with physical afflictions, and um, uh, and if you're not now, one of the days you will be. Here's one of, the, one of the things you can do scripturally is this. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now listen, this, this thing about anointing uh, with oil, okay? It's a biblical thing to do for the New Testament church. But listen, that's something that if a person is afflicted, they must institute that. That's what the Scripture says. Amen? I don't go to people and say, you want me to anoint you with oil? You want me to anoint you with oil? No, if someone wants anointed with oil, they come and ask me. Right. That's what the Scripture says. And by the way, I ain't got no magic oil in my office. Okay? In fact, I got pure a virgin olive oil from Walmart. That's all it is. Ain't nothing magical about it. But it symbolizes something. 
It symbolizes, hey, you know what? I got faith in God. And my hope and trust is in God. My hope and trust is in the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? And notice what the next verse says. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if they have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Listen, folks, it's not a symbol of some kind of magic potion. It's a symbol of faith. And by the way, the faith in the God of your prayers, amen, that God may choose to do what it says here. By the way, I was like reminding folks of this. You say, well, I know somebody was anointed with oil. They got prayed over. And you know what? God didn't heal them and they died. Well, let me ask you this, okay? If a person leaves this mortal body full of sickness and they go to a place where there's no more sickness or no more pain, you know what I call that? Ultimate healing. That's, that's ultimate healing, folks. So really, regardless of whether God heals them here or He heals them there, they're getting healed. Amen? And so, now listen, I don't claim to know God's will in everything. I remember uh, uh, last fall uh, when Pastor Ross first got diagnosed with cancer, he asked the uh, men to pray. We, the men of the Church of Blessed Hope uh, went up there. He asked some of his preacher friends to come up, and we anointed him with oil. We laid hands on him. We prayed for him, prayed that God would heal him. Amen? Now, God hasn't chose to do that yet. That doesn't mean that his faith is weak. It just means uh, God has a different plan on something. And listen, I don't know God's plan, okay? I'm not God, all right? All I know is this. I may not understand all the workings of God, but I know that I can trust God, amen? And so the Bible talks about the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and then he goes on to say this, and he says, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, sometimes God allows us to face physical affliction to get our life right. Notice what he says. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. You know, maybe God allowed you to go through something because he wants you to get right with somebody. You know? And uh, maybe God's allowed you to face something because he wants you to face some things in your life and pray one for another. By the way, you know what? You can't really pray for somebody unless uh, that you've got a good relationship with them. Amen. Pray one for another that you may be healed. And then I love this last statement. This is powerful. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Man, that, that, that is a powerful phrase. The effectual, fervent prayer. What are we talking about? Somebody that gets it. Somebody that prayer is 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 real. It's coming from your heart. It's effectual. It's fervent. By the way, you got to be righteous. That don't just mean salvation. That means right with God. Amen. That means your relationship with God is right. There's no sin between you and the Savior. And the Bible says when it's effectual, it's fervent, and you're righteous. You know what it does? It avails much. That's where the phrase prayer warrior comes from. A warrior in prayer. I'm going to tell you, it makes a difference. It makes a difference here, but more importantly, it makes a difference in the unseen creation we cannot see. Let me tell you what Saint is scared of. Amen? Let me tell you what he's afraid of. He's afraid of a unified church. He's afraid of a praying church. Because he cannot stop it. That's why Saint's always busy about busting up the unity of the church. Busting it up. Busting it up. He can't, he can't destroy us from, from without. He knows it. Jesus Christ promised divine perpetuity to His church. The church will always exist. Amen? I'm talking about as far as the body of Christ goes. Now, local assemblies sometimes can get in trouble and it can blow up a local assembly. But I'll tell you this, even if for some reason, okay, and, and pray to God this never happens, over my dead body, pray to God it will never happen. 
If something happened to this church, would ever close its doors, listen, the church of Jesus Christ will still exist because, listen, we are just one part of the local, uh, we're a local assembly of the body of Christ. Amen? Listen, folks, the Jesus, the only divine, the only institution, Jesus Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan can't stop the church. Amen? He can't stop it. But you know what he can do? He can keep it from being too effective. Yep, he sure, he sure can. He can get in. He can bust it up. He can try to get, you know, the members uh, yak, yak, yak at each other, fight here, fight there. Listen to me. Part of my job as the under-shepherd of this church is to help keep the unity of this church. And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, listen, if I see areas the devil is trying to get his foothold in, we're, we're going to deal with it. Amen? Because that's just what we got to do uh, to keep the unity right. Because I'm going to tell you something. God's got big plans for this church. Yeah. Satan wants to, to, to stop us. He wants right. to hinder us. He's got plans for us too. Amen? And, and, and it's going to it would only end in our demise. Not for good, but for bad. And we, we can't allow that to happen. Because, listen, folks, a praying church, a unified church, nothing can stop. That's what Satan knows. And he goes on to say this, verse 17, Elias Talking about Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Hey, I love that. You know what it means? Look, Elijah was just like you and I. He wasn't no big Bible superhero. He was a man that had passion. Listen, he had concerns. He had, yes, even Elisha, Elijah, I'm sorry, Elijah worried. I mean, remember what happened after Mount Carmel? He called fire down. He slew the prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel mouthed off to him and he ran and wanted to kill himself. The great prophet Elijah. You know what that's called? Like passions. He had weaknesses. He had insecurities. But yet notice what he says. Even though he was a man that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. God heard his prayers, and it had a tangible result in the land he lived in. And I wonder what would happen if we'd get a hold of prayer like Elijah got a hold of prayer. I wonder if we could uh, see tangible results in the land that we live. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And he says this, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he that converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. And by the way, those verses aren't just randomly stuck in there. They're tied directly to prayer. They're tied directly to spiritual warfare. It's talking about having an impact uh, uh, with people, being able to help people spiritually and physically. Why? To pray. Just like that incense goes up before God. Amen? It was, it was a reminder of how that when we pray, our prayers go up before God. By the way, it makes a difference. Amen? Now, I, prayer is one of those subjects that, as a pastor, I'm always going to visit from time to time because it's so important. Amen? Listen, folks, the Christian life is not complicated to understand. Now, sometimes it's difficult to live. Because we got to deal with the flesh and we got to deal with all the stuff. But comprehending it, folks, come on. It's the basic stuff. What ought you be doing as a Christian? Read your Bible. I mean, come on. All right? Don't, don't raise your hand. But did you read your Bible today? Did you spend time in God's Word today? Hey, did you have a meaningful prayer life, meaningful conversation with your Heavenly Father today? I mean, come on, folks, the basics. Attending church regularly, attending church faithfully, be involved in the local New Testament church, and on and on. Listen, but it's not complicated. But you know what? Sometimes we just don't do the things we know we ought to do. That's why the devil can win victory in our lives. Let's make sure we take this thing of prayer, take it serious, and uh, uh, make sure that just as that incense went up, our prayers are going up before the Lord as well. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight.